Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. And now, enjoy our latest episode. We are launching a few other products, but there's nothing else today that can build a reader relationship at scale like newsletters can. You know, it shows up in an inbox, and while that's far from perfect, it is a great first step. One of the most exciting things about digital journalism is the chance for collaboration. Working with other journalists or newsrooms expands your expertise and the scope of your reporting, which in the end better serves your core audience. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Kyle Villemain is a former speechwriter who, in the middle of the pandemic, decided he wanted to launch The Assembly, a digital magazine about the people, institutions, and ideas that shape North Carolina. Hannah Raskin is the founder of The Food Section, a newsletter that covers food and drink in the American South. The Assembly and The Food Section recently announced a partnership with a focus on North Carolina. Kyle and Hannah, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So um, let's start with you, Kyle. What's funny is I talk to a lot of people from the Carolinas, so I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but there are a lot of people who seem to be doing some interesting experiments in, in journalism down there or doing interesting things. What, you know, what led you to, you know, I need to do the, the assembly. I, I need to launch this. There certainly seems to be a lot of energy in the Carolinas for new ideas in journalism. So it's new ideas feed other new ideas. And so I think it's probably a bit of a cascade effect. But yeah, I, I launched the assembly two years ago. It was the first pandemic summer. And as a speechwriter, which I was at the time, pandemics are not great times for the business. And I had previously worked at the UNC system, which is the public university system across North Carolina. And I was just struck by how many stories were not being told about these institutions, good and bad, right? They were deeply interesting stories to be told. And I kept asking smart people whether we could build a platform to pay good writers good money to spend more time than normal on big stories. And that was the genesis of the assembly. And since then, we've focused on power and place in North Carolina. And that comes in so many different forms, right? And initially, it was very much about politics and you know the higher education and who was doing what with that institution. And as one does, it kind of mature a bit. And we still do a lot of that. And we still hit very hard. And we are very proud when we you know, critique and, and, and hold people accountable. But we also want to explain and to um, bring a state to life and talk about you know, cultural power and people power and place in as many ways. And so we are growing. We're a team of 10 now and really excited to launch this new partnership with Hannah's food section and bring a new aspect of, of reporting to, to North Carolina. So I guess that leads us to you, Hannah. How did the food section come about? So it's also very much a pandemic story. I've been a food writer for a long time, first at Alt Weeklies, and then the most recently spent nearly 10 years as food editor and chief critic for the Post and Courier, which is the daily newspaper here in Charleston. And it was made very clear to me in the course of the pandemic, because I was covering everything that was happening, 
that my readers really relied on me. And I mean, you know, restaurant workers who were afraid to go to work, restaurant patrons who didn't know how to, you know, support business owners. And I was getting calls in some cases from, you know, tearful employees who were scared. And I realized so many people across the South had no one to call. Food journalism has really taken a dive for many reasons, which we can talk about later if, if you want. But it became clear to me that food journalism needed to exist, not just here in Charleston, as I had tried to make it happen, but throughout our region. Food is at the center of almost every important story. And if we're really thinking about holding power to account and challenging authority when necessary, that is the ultimate food story. So that's what I aim to tell. Oh, and I suppose I should say how this actually got started, which is that, yeah, yeah, I got a local journalism grant from Substack, which is one of the newsletter companies. So they essentially floated me for one year to try it out. And I did. Was your original idea to do it as a newsletter? Substack is only a newsletter company. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I knew that they, they, it was like a 50 word, you know, application that you would send in. And so I thought, well, this is, you know, this is an opportunity. So I filled it out at the behest of a friend and forgot all about it till they called to tell me I got it. Good. That's great. So back to you, Kyle, what made you decide that uh, a newsletter was the way to do what you wanted to do? Yeah. You know, I think it is a really low barrier to entry and it allows you to test something out. We, we started with, with very little money and very little, I mean, about the same that Hannah had. And we found a couple of people who, who put up some funds and gave it a whirl, right? But it, it's not like we were launching with 10 million from a pledge. And so we had to be flexible and be nimble and newsletters let you do that. We've got a website as well. We are you know, launching a few other products, but there's nothing else today that can build a reader, a reader relationship at scale like newsletters can. You know, it shows up in an inbox and while that's far from perfect, it is a great first step. It's pretty amazing how quickly newsletters, or actually not quickly, how long it sort of took, I guess, for this idea that something that, was, that most people perceived as a, this is a marketing tool to get people to our website, but it actually itself is a delivery method for bringing people stories that they might want to uh, read. It's a delivery method, but it's also, we see it as an asset in and of itself, right? And our partnership here is going to be built around a newsletter product in part, not in full, but we see the newsletter that hits your inbox as a valuable thing for our readers to have in and of itself, not just as a hook to get them somewhere else. Who did you each see as your, um, your audiences when you started? In broad terms, it's anybody who is eating in the South, whether they live here <laughs> or visiting. So that's a huge audience. I knew from research over the past that my core demographic is always going to be older, well-educated white men. That's it's more, I mean, that's my demo. We like good food. But that's yeah. not who I write for. I just, you know, when you think about the things you think about as a publisher, you think about who you're selling to. I mean, I, I came into this aware that that was, you know, one of the target markets. How about you, Kyle? When you started out, who did you see as your your audience? And did that change? Yeah. When I started out, I had no idea what I was doing and did not have an answer to that question. That's beyond, the way to uh, do it. Well, you know, I, I had my things I told people and I they were based in, in nothing, right? Uh, but what we found, and this is what we likely guessed, but people who read us are people who are already reading some news, right? And that's 
not to get too self-deprecating here, but one of our weaknesses is that we've got to break out of just that, right? I mean, we see folks who are subscribing to news already as the base that's going to support us financially. Our challenge will be to make sure that our, our writing gets to a much larger audience, right? Not the folks who are already primed, but really a, a, a much broader swath. And that's a hard thing to solve. I think newsletters are not actually that well-suited to solve that problem, right? They're well-suited to get to people who are reading already, but that's not a thing that, you know, just people on this call are concerned about. I think that's a problem for a lot of new digital startups is that breaking away from that core audience is tough. One of the things that sort of stood out to me was one of the issues of uh, the food section. And it's not, oh, this is a foodie newsletter. It's, no, these are stories about people working with food. You know, the stories that they have, the struggles they have, the challenges they're facing. And it's not, you know, how to prepare something nice. It's, this is how food is at the center of so many things and can be used to tell bigger stories. And so it's providing a lot of depth and a different style, or I don't know if say style is the right word, but a different type of content that is intriguing and engaging. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think that the newsletter model is really, you know, serves that and, and is really kind of interesting. So I, there's no question in there. I just well, no, thank you, thank you for recognizing that because that is what I pride myself on with my newsletter. You know, and I I, I said earlier describing my demographic. I mean, I think you wouldn't be surprised to learn that my readers are also sports page readers. Back when newspapers had pages, but like it's using something which is it doesn't seem as crucial or as essential as police or courts or government. That is a way, just as sports has been for a long time, a way to get at things like race and class and, you know, how our cities look and how they, you know, so you're absolutely right. That's what I try and do with food. So, you know, why the partnership? Why did you guys think it would be a good fit for you to work together? Kyle, you get an idea? Well, why are we interested as the assembly? We are starting a, an expansion across the state. Right now, we are a statewide magazine that does a little bit of everything, right? We give you a little bit of higher ed coverage and a little bit of religion coverage, a little bit of politics, and that's great. But moving forward, we're going to do more things that are kind of targeted for targeted audiences. And, and part of that is an expansion into the city level. We'll be making building a presence in Wilmington here starting next month. We're going to be building a, a presence in the Triangle, Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, starting this spring. We're looking at Greensboro later this year. And as we thought about doing great city-level coverage, we knew that we'd have to figure out great ways to do food writing, but we didn't want to do it as a republication of PR pitches, right? That's not our style. It's not how we wanted to approach any facet of our, of our coverage area. What Hannah's doing with the food section is the kind of food writing that we aspire to do, that we want to do. And there are two ways to go about this, right? One is to read her work and say, oh my gosh, I hope someday we can be like that. And the other is to find something that the food section needed or wanted. And she, Hannah can talk about that and, and see how we could, we could give something, right? Give a win and return, get a win in return for us. And so super excited about this partnership because it's going to let us do food writing the way we want to do it and the way it should be done from day one. The best partnerships don't pull you in a new direction so much as fuel your existing direction. And I think for both of us, 
that's what this partnership is doing. And I, I'm dancing around what the actual it is. So maybe Hannah can touch on that. But that's why we saw this. It's a win-win. And Hannah, from you, what is it that the food section gains? One is, you know, personally, I, I care deeply about North Carolina and its people and the journalism informing them. So, you know, really respect what the assembly is doing and understand that the story is not being fully told without food as part of it. So it's really important for me to bring strong, rigorous, independent food journalism first to North Carolina. And then the second part of the answer professionally is to build the food section from beyond, a, you know, one person newsletter to kind of a network across the region. So what I'm hoping is that we can make this work in North Carolina, we can make it work in Georgia, we can make it work in Tennessee, we can make this work everywhere, because I think there are a lot of independent upstart, really smart media organizations who need to be telling food stories and don't know how. So my hope is that's the way the food section is going to grow. So that's how it works for me. What's the actuality of this? How is this, how is it featured in the assembly? Well, two things. One is, you know, we are one blessing of working with another startup and entrepreneur is that we are both giving ourselves the freedom to let it evolve, right? And so we have our North Star, we have our mission, we have, a, you know, the direction we want to go, and we'll continue to evolve it as we go. But the core for us is that we're going to hire as the assembly, we're going to put some money out there to help hire food writers in the cities that we're expanding to. They're going to report to Hannah. She will edit them. She'll craft amazing journalism. It'll go in our products. It will go in her products as appropriate. And you know, the end result is at the beginning of a food newsroom in North, North Carolina that is at the tutelage and direction of a great food editor. And then really good journalism in these cities for, for our existing audience, as well as Hannah's Southern-based audience. That's a really interesting concept. I like that. I like that you recognize that you have your focus, but to your point before about the difficulty of, of reaching that new and different audience, here we are sort of expanding our scope into something that touches on everybody's life. It gives you that something extra to hopefully expand your audience, but also to expand the, the coverage that they're doing on the community. Tell me about this expansion across North Carolina. You know, how many cities you, do you think you're going to try to expand to? And what do you see as sort of a time frame? Well, our, our immediate is going to be, you know, around three regions over the next year, at least two regions that we have immediate plans for that, that this partnership covers. And that's Wilmington and the Triangle. And, you know, if I told you I had a four-year plan, it would both be true and false. I mean, sure we do, but we'll see how it goes, right? We're going to see, those are two very different markets, Wilmington and Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill. One is you know, a million plus, one is 300,000. They're very different vibes and identities and have you know, different things that folks care about. And we're going to see how it works, right? We're going to see how acceptance is and how reception is and, and go from there. So what we know right now is that we'll have some infrastructure in both places. We'll have some politics and kind of local place reporting, and we'll have some, some great food reporting. So this is going to be a, a good start in both places. Let's talk a little bit about the business side of this again. You were saying that you're, you've got newsletters, you're looking for subscribers, and that's really kind of your main focus of revenue. So are you looking for other opportunities, things like sponsorships, live events, advertising even, or do you think that there's enough that you're going to be able to grow this enough to sustain it through subscriptions? 
I mean, I, I, I can't speak for Kyle's business plan, but I will say as a newsletter publisher now a year and a half in, subscribers are the you know heart and soul of what we do. It's incredibly mm -hmm. important that everything serves the reader first, but they shouldn't be the only source of revenue. And in fact, mm -hmm. I, think, and I think I'm on the record of saying this, that I think Substack's year-long local journalism program, this grant program I referred to earlier, was somewhat short-sighted in asking its participants to be reliant on subscription revenue exclusively, which I understand why it serves Substack, but it puts in a position, um, we need to diversify revenues. Kyle can address how they plan to do it, but I'm open to everything. I've certainly, since I've been freed from the shackles of Substack's contract, you know, <laughs> I put on events, I, you know, I sell things, whatever, whatever it takes to keep the journalism going. We're very much in all of the above revenue model. Our projections call for about 40% of our revenue long-term to come from subscriptions. And that is both kind of a general base subscription plus, you know, premium subscriptions for, you know, insider content, right? Or we're looking at some industry-specific newsletters around things like the courts and healthcare, that kind of thing might be a great model for a higher price tag that is kind of a political pro, right? Neither me nor Hannah are reinventing or inventing any business model. We're just, we're taking the best that's out there. And so advertising will be a, a big thing not on our site, but we will have advertising on the newsletters. Subscriptions will be the heart of what we do because I think it's the cleanest way of funding journalism. It keeps your incentives the most in line, but events and some grant money as appropriate and things like, I mean, look, if it supports good journalists and it is ethically clean, then, you know, let's not limit ourselves to purity. Amen to that. <laughs> Now, before you said you had a staff of 10, 10 reporters, or is it sort of 10, some reporters and doing all different types of things? We've doubled in the past four months or so. We've got three editors, including myself, two business end folks, and five reporters. Those are our full-time folks. And then we've got kind of key partnerships like this, and we've got you know contract folks. We rely on a lot of freelance writers and pay them, you know, we think pretty good money to spend a good chunk of time on a story. But we are certainly growing quickly. You know, say a prayer for us, Michael. And uh, <laughs> we feel good about that growth and know there's a big, there's a big hole to fill. And so we're, we're trying to fill it responsibly. Yeah, there certainly is. There's a need to hire reporters. There's a need to, you know, cover these stories that aren't being covered. This is across all small startups is that when you take that first step to expand, you've got to kind of expand in a number of directions at the same time, right? If you just add on a couple editorial folks, you're really lacking on the business end, right? If you right. just hire the team that can do, you know, great audience work and great advertising work for you, but you're not pulling the editorial side, like it's really tough to expand a little bit. It's great to make kind of in a leap. Uh, you know, make big jumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's part of why I love this partnership is it helps both of us take a bigger leap than we could alone in a responsible way. Yeah, it gives you a lot of capacity to to try things and you know to go in the direction where something is paying off or something that, that's succeeding and also to quickly abandon something if you need to adapt or die, I guess. <laughs> so Hannah, now you, you were the, the sole writer of the, or you've been the sole writer of your newsletter or have you hired people or used freelancers? Uh, no. So it's, uh, I always say we and us, but it's just me. Um, but I am proud that this year we 
introduced a new program that I do publish one freelance contribution each month. And I'm especially proud not only to share that work with readers, but that we compensate at a dollar a word, essentially. We really believe in, in fair compensation. So that's been great. Uh, I've gotten support from subscribers for, for that program. But otherwise, yeah, it's just me. My husband okay. does the books. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Again, mm -hmm. it's whatever you need to do to, to sustain yeah. and grow. Is there any particular story, Hannah, that you've written over the last year that you think is sort of emblematic of the type of reporting you like doing? Oh my gosh. You know, I was really pleased to write this story just because I think it's very emblematic of like the way I approach things. And it, it also had a North Carolina tie to do the story about all the people dying in car crashes inside restaurants. Oh my God. Shocking. And it's a fascinating story. And the only reason I was aware of this is because, you know, I read all the local news reports from all across the region. Someone died at Hardee's again? Like cars keep crashing in restaurants. And no other reporter had pulled the stats. And it is astounding. And it is a really important story because what you have is many times people on fixed incomes, their treat in life is a biscuit in the morning with their friend. And they like to sit by the window, which is now closer to the street because real estate is so expensive these days that they're not going to you know, put in flowers anymore. And so they sit right there and cars have gotten bigger in the last five to 10 years. And people plow their SUVs into these restaurants and kill people. And so I mean, the fact that we're, you know, losing lives that way, that story to me is very emblematic of what I do and how I cover food a little differently than someone you just said, whether the fries were correctly salted. There we go. Yeah, that's a surprising <laughs> answer, but also maybe not so surprising. Actually, that, and I don't, I don't know if I told you this, Hannah, that, that story was the first I heard of the food section, a Substack that I love in Charlotte called the Charlotte Ledger republish, co-publish, re I republish, I think, that story. And it was the first time I read it. And I said, oh, that's this is good reporting. Oh, my God. I didn't, I didn't know that. But what Kyle's referring to is you and you, Michael, you talked about that the Carolinas had a lot going on with journalism. It really is tremendous how supportive North Carolina and the few South Carolina journalists we have tend to be of one another. So we should give out a shout to to Tony and what he's doing in Charlotte. Like, it, it, there's just a really good network across the Carolinas. Well, I mean, this sounds like a really great partnership, and I think it serves clearly serves both your needs, and it also gives the people in Carolina something that they're not going to get anywhere else. My personal view, and this is a biased view, but my, my view is that journalism's future is going to be at a state level, right? Kind of non-national journalism will get organized in some ways around states. It makes a lot of sense as an organizing principle. And what we are trying to do here is say, how do different outlets with different focuses combined to give readers in a geographic space, in this case, a state, all the different things they need, right? It's kind of in vogue to say that local journalism is fracturing, right? And kind of splintering, and you've got to go to 30 places to get all 30 things you need. While not explicitly, this is kind of a, an attempt to say, how do we all work together and win wins and make sure that in North Carolina, for example, people are getting lots of the journalism they need in a coordinated way that has a lot of voices in it. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how well this works. I'm super excited for it and we'll report back. Okay. I'll definitely check in on you. Those who do not subscribe via, are you both on Substack or do they just go to your quote unquote website and, uh, Actually, I shouldn't say quote unquote, it is a website and subscribe yeah, we're, there. We're at theassemblync.com. Okay. 
And the address for the food section is the foodsection.substack.com. And we were talking before about revenue miles. It's also available in print as a quarterly if you don't want to use that. So we'll make there it. There we go. Good for you. You know, I just spoke to somebody in Chicago talking about well, how print is still a viable platform, even though most of their audience is reading their content online. There's not one answer to any of this. And it's encouraging when you see people who are doing startups, who are trying new things, to seeing, you know, what's going to work. Then at the same time, they're also incorporating a perspective of let's get a lot of different voices in, in this discussion. Let's, you know, let's do that type of journalism. I, I think that's that's all super positive in an environment when you know everybody's focused on you know people losing journalists losing their jobs and and publications closing down i think there's lots of hopeful stories and encouraging stories like the the work you're two doing kyle and hannah thanks for coming on the podcast thank you so much you've been listening to it's all journalism a weekly podcast about the people who report the news you can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Bolevsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>